Hi, and welcome to Extemporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea, I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark, and he pontificates. Today's episode is going to be discussing the intersection between cancel culture and outdated art in modern society. So we're going to be looking at things like Dr. Seuss having six of his books pulled from publication and the way that Disney is handling problematic portrayals in their cartoon movies and the way that Turner Classic Movies is trying to reframe and call into conversation problematic portrayals in what are considered some of the most classic movies of all time. Additionally, we're going to be looking at things like fine art and can we separate the art from the artist. We appreciate you coming and listening to us each week. Thank you very much for doing that. If you do like us, please consider sharing us with a friend. Choose one of the episodes that you like the best and just share it with someone. We really would be grateful if you would do that. I'll be putting our link tree information in the episode notes so that you can follow us on social media. If you choose to do that, we have a great and very lively Facebook page and we welcome you to come there. And we're building a little TikTok channel as well. So please, if you do uh, follow TikTok, come and find us on TikTok as well. Hi, Mark Snedeker. You know, that was a lie, right? You did not bring a bottle of wine. I thought you were going to yell at me because we had to re-record. <laughs> oh, no, but I can if you'd like me to. Everyone, oh my God, there's always something. It's always freaking something. It was something last night. We were going to do this last night. We got interrupted last night because of Because you have shitty internet. I have crap internet at my house. And and then now tonight, it just something went wrong with the with the recording. So... Anyway, here we are, starting over. Super extemporaneous, Woo! though. It's going to be totally extemporaneous. I'm going to make up new jokes. Excellent. I'll probably just use the same jokes. <laughs> I'll Let's still be honest. Find, I'll still find them funny. All right, Mark, 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 Mark. What? Let's do a hot take. So my hot take is, as is often the case, is to let's have a little bit of perspective, nuance. Let's look at the way we treat art. We almost always look at art in a context of history or geography or culture. We place art often, when we're analyzing it, into the culture that it came from. What? Do you think so? Yeah, of course we do. Okay. I, you I don't think, think that, that, like, I think that if people you're, aren't if, very good at that, actually. Well, I, I'm talking about when we're studying, and I'm not talking about Yahoo's looking at blacklight posters at Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, like if you're studying art history or reading a, a book or whatever. Okay. We typically will look at it in terms of the culture that it came from. There are definitely, depending on what, you know, the timing was, uh, the time frame was that the art came from, Almost always some kind of problematic portrayal compared to what our current ethics and mores are, right? Yes. Uh, it's a, a negative portrayal of minorities, religious groups, females, etc., right? There are, there's, they're replete with examples of... Cultural insensitivity. Yes, that's very well put. Yes. Thank you. Well, so I think it's important to look at these works of art mm -hmm. in terms of where they came from culturally, in history, geographically, whatever. I think we can evaluate whether certain works are worth salvaging alongside a conversation about you know how the portrayal is problematic and where it comes from 
culturally and history, historically, historically, yeah, it's historically. <laughs> so uh, I think if you have just a little bit of like, just don't have a knee jerk reaction and start slapping fig leaves on everything or just pulling books off the shelf. As long as you know you are recognizing these negative portrayals and thinking about them somewhat. Okay, so. You bring up something that's quite interesting. Well, don't I usually? Well, I mean, all right. So you mentioned the idea of slapping fig leaves on something. Right. Okay, so that actually has a historical context. Well, I didn't it, just make it up. <laughs> and it goes to it goes to the idea that what we're going through now with with cancel culture is not something that's new. As new, it's the way that we do it is is newer, is is speedier, is much more in your face because of the internet. But this has always existed in one form or another. And so when when you talked about slapping fig leaves on it, that's a reference to Pope Paul the Fourth, yeah, that who guy. in 1557 determined that the statues in the Vatican should have fig leaves put on to cover up the nudity. So it has a history, and sometimes it's in it's in response to changing mores, and right? And and we would look at it now and say, well, it was, of course, ridiculous that he covered up all those genitals with fig leaves. Well, some of us might. That's some prudish. Of us might say, exactly. Some people would say, well, I think that was a good idea. Probably was and, of course, thing. now we say, you know, hey, this portrayal of this. And we believe we're correct, right? I'm not questioning whether we're correct or not. Mm-hmm. This stereotypical portrayal of, you know, this racial, uh, you know, this race right here is a problem. And, of course, we should never do that. But we're saying that now from our current culture. From our perspective. And And back then, they'd be like, what what are you talking about? What's the big deal? What's the big deal? Come on, lighten up. Everybody, it's a joke. Aren't you in on the joke? Yeah. Well, I've actually got a pretty interesting quote uh, a little bit later in the episode where an actor who who has been roundly criticized for a very racist portrayal in a film speaks to it. Um, And and so we'll, we'll... we will get there. Let's talk, let's zero back in first on on Dr. Seuss. Right. Okay. So there is a trust that was formed after Dr. Seuss's death to administer the publication of his work because, of course, his stuff is constantly still in print. Right. Mm-hmm. He's then and that found foundation is still making money for his heirs or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a decision made by that foundation to stop publishing a few of his titles that were found to, well, not found, I'm sure they knew they were there all along, but that contained some culturally insensitive portrayals. Yes. And they weren't removed from shelves, right, although they may be by now. All that, all the Seuss Trust said was, we are no longer going to publish these titles. And people lost their goddamn minds. Well, right, because for some, there's a segment of the society that still feels that, come on, why aren't you in on, it's not that bad. Right, but um, of course it's not that bad for them, they're white. Well, right, and and then there are people, and, and they feel as you if You know what, I'm a, perfectly comfortable with you stereotyping other races. Doesn't bother <laughs> me in the, even a little. And, but they, and, they, and they feel like this is an attack on them and their culture in some way. I, I don't quite understand how they get so bent out of shape about it, but it's an existential thing. I, I can tell you exactly why they get bent I, out I mean, of shape yes, about it. White it's the same reason, no, yeah, it's just, it is that, but it's the same reason that they think that there's a war on Christmas or that they're being told they can't eat hamburgers. <laughs> it's just people who are looking for shit to be booty heard about. I guarantee you 95% of the people crying about 
quote-unquote cancellation of Dr. Seuss. Haven't read a Dr. Seuss book in 40 years. Probably not. And um, and, and six, probably haven't read these six, these right? These titles are these very are pretty obscure. obscure. All right. Yeah. So so let's let's dig into that. So Dr. Seuss generally is when I think of Dr. Seuss, I think of things like the Lorax, which is about right. environmentalism. Very culturally and, sensitive and, and woke. You and know. the Sneetches, which Which we, was very, very much about, you know, stereotyping mm-hmm. and And yeah. prejudice, yep. Right. And so 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 some some of the books Horton Hears a Who, possibly about, you know, dealing with mentally ill people. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a little bit wow. All right. Uh, and um so so some of the book the, the six books that were pulled from from publication by no other reason or for no other reason than that the the foundation wanted to pull right. them no governmental pressure no, no major no. to my knowledge at least there was no like parent Twitter group thing yeah there's no cancel campaign going on no. they but they said that um part of the commitment of their group is the, a broader plan to ensure dr seuss enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities and families adding that these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. So this is something that they came to the conclusion about right. under review. And they determined to pull these six books. And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, which is one, and which had a... Um, Stereotypical a f- Asian character, right? Yes. And then in uh, If I Ran the Zoo, well, has an offensive African caricature. Yes. Um, and then Two, actually. M- McGilligot's Pool. Yeah. The Cat's Quizzer, Scrambled Egg Super, and On Beyond Zebra. Because I only knew two of those books. I didn't and know And I'm any a of pretty them. serious Seuss scholar. Really? What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know me some Seuss. Oh, my God. So Mulberry Street and On Beyond Zebra, both I knew, but the other ones, never heard of them. Yeah. So most people probably never heard of them. I will tell you that there was a rush to buy them yeah, as soon as it was announced. Because the racists were... didn't want to miss out on any yeah. opportunities. Yeah, yeah. So th- this was a decision that was taken. It wasn't a cancel culture thing. It wasn't that there was a Twitter thing that No, although up. I guess you could make the argument, well, they were afraid they might get canceled well, maybe, at some point but in the I future. Mean, they, but... They, but they didn't, and they were just proactive yeah. about it. So yeah. good. Okay, so good for them. Okay, another group. So this is, this is I mean, Dr. Seuss Illustrations. Yeah. Then you go to other uh, things like Disney. Right. So Disney with the Disney Plus platform, took it upon themselves to flag a number of their films that they determined were problematic and not in line with their enterprise, which is called Stories Matter. That, like, uh, Steamboat Willie and Hitler was was canceled, I think. <laughs> right, right. But so what, so what they did is they selected several titles, and then they put up a slate. They didn't take them out of right. circulation they put up a slate and they and before the movie plays the slate is shown and the slate reads this program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures these stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now rather than remove this content we want to acknowledge its harmful impact learn from it and speak Spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. I mean, Disney's got a good marketing department. <laughs> Let's just put that out Disney there. Is, Disney is like top notch in terms of, of marketing. And I mean, yeah. okay, so they, they took these steps as a part of this Stories Matter, a coalition 
of of people because then the question be kind of becomes like who decides what and apparently mark was not an you, acceptable you've answer not been, you've not been involved no, i've not in. been tapped for this job <laughs> i so. wonder why mark. i don't know i feel like i'm pretty capable all right so a part of this this uh this coalition uh includes the african-american film critics association good coalition of asian pacific's in entertainment, also called CAPE. Also good. The Gina Davis Institute on Gender in Media. So is Gina Davis in charge of women? She's looking. Basically. She's looking out for the the for women, the ladies, women in the in film and portrayals of, of women in film. Um, national, the National Association of Latino Independent Producers. Good. And Respect Ability, which I believe has something to do with uh, disability and and portrayal of oh, of the disabled. I in. see a problem. What is the problem? Well, I don't hear any uh, representatives from the LGBTQ. Right, the LGBTQ. There's an plus. I, possibly. I think there's an I now, and there's pl- I mean, the, just let, let's say plus. Yeah. Um, that co- community is not. It does, does not, not have, appear to be represented. Have representation. In and this. I have to say, as as woke as Disney has become, p- well, or at least appears to have become, right? They have you know princesses of you know different ethnicities, etc. I don't think they've ventured into homosexuality. Although I guess there's some chatter about. Elsa maybe being a lesbian possibly I don't know but it clearly not a you know open portrayal so I don't think Disney's quite ready for that well maybe so maybe I mean, that's why I, I I don't know but they certainly do not have a representation on this coalition so right. there's a but anyway for Di- hello it's Disney a, it's a step it's a in, it's a step in the right direction that's what it is this, this is all going to be incremental yeah as as time goes on okay so do you can you guess what some of the titles are that yes I sure can go I guess them before it too just so you well, know just do the one that you know. All right. uh, <laughs> Peter Pan. Yes. Because of the portrayal of the Native Americans. Yes. Which was extremely racist. Oh my God, yeah. I would have guessed, well, Song of the South, but I guess that was previously no, kind was of previously phased out. Phased out, yeah, yeah. Zippity doo dah and all that. Yeah. What about the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn? No, that's not on there. Um, okay. Dumbo. Yeah, because, you know, Dumbo's clearly is Italian. It, I don't it, know. No, Dumbo. I, See, is Dumbo. It to do, is it to do with the crows? Are there two crows in the Dumbo movie? That is in Jungle Book. Oh, okay. Well, Jungle Book is also one that has the the warning. Yeah. Um, Dumbo, Peter Pan, Swiss Family Robinson. Okay. Uh, Are they shocked that white people manage to survive on an island? I have and no idea. It's like, dude, that is so. That's a, such a portrayal of privilege. They would have died in the first week. No I life. I have to tell you that I thought that that treehouse would have been amazing to live in. Well, sure. And it was one of it my. It would have been super uncomfortable though. Yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, the Aristocats. Which I have now found out is because there is a an a, a Siamese cat portrayed as like a stereotypical Asian. He plays the piano with chopsticks. Oh God! Okay. Yeah. I thought I thought first it might be because of a negative uh, portrayal of Hungarian women, <laughs> but that was, turned out not to be the case, oh, is darling. This, is, it, is it Zsa Zsa? <laughs> it is Zsa Zsa. I think Gabor. it's Zsa And then uh, Fantasia. Right. I don't remember what's in there for that one. Yeah. Okay. So th- I want to come back to this because it, so I'll finish yeah. this list out. Jungle Book, Lady and the Tramp, uh, because of Siamese cats. And, oh right, right. And right. also I think because of the like the class structure and that's um, silly. Well, no, I think I th- that might have something else also to do with it. But here is what is because it? it was a classic, you know, uptown girl. Yeah. Scenario. I know. Right? What's wrong with that? Well, I don't know. And then and I mean then, the, the Siamese cat thing was 
pretty bad. And then, and then, although I do like that song, which is terrible. <laughs> I know, I know. And then, but see, here's the thing: is that you and I, I'm sitting here and I'm going, God, I'm racking my brain trying to go. Well, what's so bad in yeah, Fantasia? But it's because it was normalized to me. Yeah, and yeah, I'm a cis white male. Nothing offends me. <laughs> right, right. Well, except for you know people being held, cis white males being held accountable for. That doesn't offend me. <laughs> I think that's perfectly reasonable. No, but anyway, so uh, but I think that that's telling. If I watched it now, Fantasia, I bet I would be able to pick out. What, oh yeah, what's wrong? You'd be like yeah. But I'd be, and I'd be like, oh my god, I didn't even realize that. You yeah. know, so so that's but that's. The problem is right. that we, as consumers of this media in our childhood, were not taught ever that that was that there was anything necessarily wrong not. with the portrayals. We, as liberal as I'm certain your parents, oh, they were. They never said a word about they it. Would never have said. And my parents definitely not liberal. <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> my like, parents would have been like, like mm. yeah, that's what they're like. Yeah, <laughs> my mother. Yeah. My mother would have talked about, you know, they're Siamese if you don't please. The war okay. and why, yeah. and, you know, sneakiness and everything right. else, right? Like all of the terrible, terrible yeah. things. My mother and father would have been like, yeah, okay, yeah, that, they would know. do that. They will, they will eat your goldfish and bomb your harbor. It's okay, terrible, terrible. Yeah. But thank goodness we are now living in a time where we're slightly these things, more enlightened. These things are, are being discussed. Of course, in ten years, a, we may look back and be like, wow, we wow. were fucking. Oh, pigs. for sure we will. Yeah. For sure we will. Um, Listen to my podcast. I'm like, well, I'm canceling oh, me right now. Oh, <laughs> you're lucky I'm a good editor. <laughs> I can't, can't get it all. but <laughs> Oh, please. <laughs> um, so Disney has done this. They've not canceled these movies. They've just put this, this warning. And Except for Song of the South, uh, apparently. Right. Well, but that one probably, what's redeeming about that? Similarly, but in real life, not cartoons, we have Turner Classic Movies. Who right. are the... They're the, the repository the, of all old movies. All the old movies, and a lot of these old movies are deeply, deeply problematic. In a way, you could say that Turner Classic Movies is the custodian of racism <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> racism, sexism. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. A lot of women got slapped in those movies. A lot of it. I mean, it's... I mean, yeah, men got slapped too, but women got slapped. And you look at that today, you're like, damn, you can't be slapping her like the that. No, I know. And it's... How come I you're mean, not in jail, bro? It's terrible. There's all kinds of slapping. There's, there's, there's... It's it's not good. Yeah. It's oh, not good. And forced kissing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot Rapey of... Rapey as fuck. A lot of rapiness. So anyway, um, we have Turner Classic Movies who are... Who, who really have this, this large... A catalog of, of problematic movies, and they're doing a similar thing that Disney is doing. Yeah, and because they paid a lot of money for these movies, <laughs> uh, and they're yeah. all if they've got right. So, so there's no Turner Classic woke movies. You know, it's so right. So they have created a program involving a panel of folk. It's called Reframed. And they look at these movies before they play them, and they do this like kind of roundtable talking about here's what is problematic right. about this right. movie, here's what's problematic about that movie. So on this panel is Ben Mankiewicz, whose uncle was a famous director in the in the old in the golden era right. of, of okay. Hollywood. Dave Carger, Alicia Malone, Eddie Muller, and Jacqueline Stewart. Are any of these people? People of color. Yes, Jacqueline Stewart is okay. Alicia. Would not have guessed that. One. Alicia Malone is. She's like Australian. Which is, it's oh, not oh, a person oh, of no, color. No, she's not. She's. I'm just saying. I'm, she's Australian. She's. She's a white woman. Yeah. Uh, the three uh, others are, are white men. Okay. Well. Um, nice try, Turner. I mean, good idea. 
you know, I good know, thinking. I know it's a, it's very weird. It's it was like it's like, I'm like, okay. it's like how can we possibly we're gonna be aware and tone deaf at the same time? <laughs> I know it's hilarious. We're so much irony, you guys. <laughs> so um, so it's like when we do podcasts where it's all white guys talking about you know race problems with race. Oh right, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean it, it is, and and we have we had we've actually grappled with that. We didn't do we didn't we do certain topics to do... because we're like there's gonna be only white voices from us right and and we can't what's the point of that no one wants to hear that and i did ask a a friend of mine who's a woman of color and And she like i don't want to be your token no she said she said i I, i'm not comfortable having that conversation uh, with with you all right so let's dig in then to a couple of the titles that um that turner classic movies look at now you know i don't watch black and white movies for the most part so if wow. I don't know a movie, you know, forgive me. What the actual f? Are you serious? Like, are you really? Uh, do, do any of them have lasers? No. no. Oh God, you're. It's an impoverished life that you live. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, I have, my life is rich with lasers. You've heard of this? I don't this. know about yours. They, they, this was this is one of the this was the first talking film, and it has a long long history in entertainment. This is called The Jazz Singer oh, from yeah, 1927 Al with Al yeah. Jolson. And he, he puts on blackface. He does. Again, there's a super long history of whites appropriating black culture and, and creating like yes. these minstrel shows starting right. way back in, in I think it was like century, 1828 right? yeah. with uh, an actor who determined that he he saw a stagehand who had kind of like a he was kind of crippled and and, uh, and a limp and he did this kind of funny Shuffle. kind of fun, funny jig and the the stagehand's name was Jim Crow oh great and yeah. so the actor who's called Thomas Rice and this is 1828 I mean 1828 yeah, before the Civil War he's a white guy and he he saw this guy doing the shuffle and and the guy was singing kind of a funny ditty yeah. and so the the actor took it and put it on stage and dressed in blackface yeah. and and this is and then here again is the tradition of like Stephen Foster right. and some of the the songs that he's and so this goes all the way through time camp town races yep canceled yep. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, there was always complaints about minstrel shows. Yeah. Okay. So, so the problem with minstrel shows is that it it they propagated certain stereotypes, and this is something that then carried on and carried on and carried on into modern modern times. I'm quoting from an article here called "Blackface: The Sad History of Minstrel Shows" by Edwin Grosner, which was uh, republished in the Winter 2019 volume of American Heritage, a journal, a history journal. Um, and it says, with America's best songwriters, comics, singers, dancers, and novelty acts, the minstrel show offered more than enough lively variety entertainment to ensure its popularity. But it was not just the nation's first top-notch variety show. It was a top-notch variety show performed in blackface and black dialect. Race was a central part of its initial and enduring appeal. The, The northern white public before the Civil War generally knew very little about black people, but it knew that it did not welcome blacks as equals and that it did enjoy watching minstrels portray the oddities, peculiarities, eccentricities, and comicalities of that sable 
genus of humanity. With their ludicrous dialects, grotesque makeup, bizarre behavior, and simplistic caricatures, minstrels portrayed blacks as totally inferior. Minstrels created two sets of contrasting stereotypes, the happy, frolicking plantation darky and the foolish, inept urban idiots. Wow. Yeah. Um, spicy. So this is so this is what audiences were consuming, you know, sort of way before the Civil War, through the Civil War, after the Civil War, right up until the jazz singer. And so obviously this is this is a problem. So you you have Al Jolson in the jazz singer who stars as a young man who defies the traditions of his Jewish family, right, to become a jazz singer, just as he did in real life. Jolson performs some numbers in blackface, and so you know, so this is one of the well, this is one of the hot button movies that they have they have on their uh their list um the children's hour is Never a film is a film featuring shirley mclean and okay. audrey hepburn um it's adapted from a 1934 play by lillian hellman and it concerns the destructive effect of gossip and in this case, there's gossip that the two women are lesbians. And so, in, and as it turns out, there's a very moving scene where Shirley MacLaine admits that she does love Audrey Hepburn in the way that they're gossiping about her. And then there's this confrontation about it. So in the end, um, here again, homosexuality, it, 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 as it's portrayed in these films, is portrayed often as shameful and, and part of a tortured mental illness and right? part of a tortured mental illness so now like if you jump forward in time i mean we can think Which of other we, we you can we can think of other portrayals where there's either gender confusion so something like psycho which is another one of the TCM movies yeah. that are uh, that are a part of this um, reframing. Or you can think of like even uh, the Silence of the Lambs, where you have Buffalo Bill, who is a somebody who's trying to transition, but is doing it in a very bad way. And the the trope there is that you know you p- portray there may be homosexuality, but they're so far gone and so mentally yeah. unstable that they're essentially you know violent. Right. Predators like Norman Bates. I'll name one you probably haven't thought of. Okay. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bill and Ted. What? Okay. So tell me what. So in the scene where they're in the night in the medieval world and they're in the knight's castle mm-hmm. and they're both in those suits of armors and they fall down the steps or one of them falls down the steps and they're reunited and they give each other a hug and then they go back and one of them goes. F-. Oh. And I think Keanu Reeves has spoken out about that. Like, you know, you know, obviously that's horrible and blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But that was very common, in, especially in the 80s for some reason. Yeah. Gay jokes, right? And I don't know if it's because gays were becoming more, slightly more visible in society. Yeah. And there was some tension there. And that's where you, you can find humor in tension, right? Right. When, when you have, when you have, uh, if you can surprise people or challenge, you know, whatever the status quo, a lot of times you can be funny about it. Or you can just be base and just appeal to the lowest common denominator, which is what that does. Right. So, uh, but that's what, I mean, there's one right there, right? And that's a, I love that movie, but I don't love that line. No. Okay. So some of the others that are problematic, Gone with the Wind. Well, I mean, let's, let's, let's talk about that one. Now, one of the women on that panel, Jacqueline Stewart, she, she does, she's the woman of color and she does a, a long piece about how it is a problematic movie. Gone with the Wind can be uncomfortable, even painful. Still, it is important that classic Hollywood films are available to us in their original form for viewing and discussion. They reflect the social context in which they were made and invite viewers to reflect 
on their own values and beliefs when watching them now. It's more than ju- it's not a civil war history. No, this isn't. There is nothing realistic. Anybody who has studied American history knows that that is not. I mean, even in those days, they had right. to know that that is not what it was like. What you have there is Margaret Mitchell, who wrote a love story, a very sad and weird love story. Yeah, but of, I mean, wrote an unhealthy this, relationship uh, really, uh, sure. uh, uh, with you know with with Scarlett O'Hara as kind of the the, the protagonist and then in the background is the this the story about plantation life and and the the romanticization of plantation life which of course was not romantic at all but she grew up as somebody in the, the vanquished south sitting on porches listening to actual confederates retell stories well yeah you know they're going to tell their stories from their their biased right. perspective and that's what goes into it you I think you have to understand who, what, what made her write the story that she wrote. And then it's 1939. It's a terribly racist time. Right. And so then they make the movie and they make it even worse. And it's these, again, stereotypes of, you know, happy slaves who yeah. venerate their masters. It's not that way. Now, if we take that movie out of the canon, though, and this is the argument that Jacqueline Stewart makes, do, then we erase effectively Hattie right. McDaniel's amazing portrayal of Mammy, right. who is the only character in the entirety of the, the book or the movie that actually has Scarlett's number. Right. She's the one that gets it. I mean, even Rhett. Rhett finally at the very end does. No one sees Scarlet for the terrible person that Scarlet is except for Mammy. Mammy yeah. has her number. And Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar for that portrayal. And which is which is in itself a kind of a landmark for, it was. She for was black a, actors. It, she was the first one she ever. She was the first be. one. And... And I mean, um, she, unfortunately, when the Oscar ceremony was going on, she wasn't even allowed to sit at the table with the rest of the actors. She had to sit somewhere off into the side. So it's a story. The the meta story of Gone with the Wind, the the making of Gone with the Wind, what went into it, the sort of the the publicity around it and and all of the things that go into it. It's not just the story. It's everything else that really can teach us something about how bad Racism because it is it was an important film even though I don't really like it but it was an important film in American film history you know obviously it's also problematic but that doesn't mean that you remove it from all discussion or consideration you just have to view it with an eye towards you know recognizing those those stereotypes that that is actually true I agree and I think that. It's still an important movie, but for a very different reason. It's not an important movie because it's the best movie that ever was made. It certainly was not. But it was slightly better than Highlander 2. No. No. Uh, oh, it wasn't? You no, like Highlander 2 no, better? No. Gone with, I, now, okay. I, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be up front. I, it's, it, was, it has always been one of my favorite movies. Oh, so bad. I can't help it. I, it's, I, I've read the book. I've read the movie. It has always been one of my- you, you have to help it. <laughs> I, was, I just, no, I no, just because, hate that movie. Because it is one of those films that is so problematic. But yeah. I think what, what no, makes No, I don't it, hate it because of, for any- you know, noble political reason. I just don't like it because it's a dumb romance. But. So anyway, um, but what is interesting to me is that I think that now it has the potential to become an important movie for a more important reason. Right. Where we can look at that movie and we can contextualize it and say, here's here's how fucked up things yeah, were. Yeah, we can look at attitudes toward about race 
you know, at that time through the lens of that movie. Through the lens of that movie. That's right. And I think that that's and I think that's the important thing to to do with that. Now, you know, others may disagree. Others may say to hell with that. No one needs to watch that movie. Um, it shouldn't be on. And, and you know, it's a, that's okay. If that would be the decision that people would come to, my interest in it is purely about the romance. It's right. not about the history because I know that the history is so fucking flawed. Right. It's like I like Gladiator. I like Gladiator because I like Russell Crowe. Right. Not because not I think because that Gladiator is a great historical movie. Right. Right. Empire. Right. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Okay. Um, so then the other one, uh, and I, I told you we would get here. So there's Swing Time, which features Fred Astaire doing a blackface. He's 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 actually. She did like a Cotton Club he, thing. He's, or no, whatever. he was actually doing a um, an homage to um, um, Bill Bojangles. I think Bojangles Robinson. Yeah. I think it's worse to cut this out and pretend that it didn't happen, than to now have to think of this as part of Fred Astaire's legacy, uh, and how complicated that is. Because to me. Putting this scene in an otherwise fabulous, romantic Fred and Ginger movie speaks to the cavalier racism of the time. How easy it was to get away with something so incredibly offensive to a segment of the public. It should have been offensive to everybody, but it, it, it just... It's important to realize that. And then uh, Stagecoach, which has John, or uh, not Stagecoach, The Searchers, which has John Wayne as a Confederate veteran who is trying to find his niece, who's been, I think, taken captive by the Comanches. And he's uh, he's either going to get her back or he's going to kill her because she's she doesn't want to come back. Oh. Um, so he's very, very wow. racist. Um, a great parent. <laughs> to, to, uh, we, I mentioned the Children's Hour. Um, Tarzan the Ape Man, Sinbad the Sailor. Yeah. Uh, seven Brides for Seven Brothers. We've mentioned that before. Yeah, it's very rapey. <laughs> uh, extremely rapey. It's and uh, guess who's coming to dinner? We just watched that. Uh, that's a great movie. It's a it's a great movie, but it's it's there's issues around. Yeah, but see, I feel like that portrays that does a that shows racism, but it's not using racism as its entertainment vehicle, right? It's not adopting the racism. The way no, it's critiquing it. It is. And it's critiquing it, and it's showing okay. people grappling with it. Yeah. Um, Stagecoach, another western. Again, a lot of it has to do with killing Native how, Americans. How how yeah. how uh, Indigenous Americans are, are portrayed? Not uh, favorably. Woman of the Year is about it. It's this woman who is a go getter, and after her career, and then at the end, yeah, she, at the end, she's yeah. like, nope, she I'm never. just gonna go for a man. I'm going for the man. Well, I, I need mean, the man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so there's there, there's stuff like that. All right. Here's one, though. Breakfast at Tiffany's. One of the most egregious portrayals of uh, negative portrayals of a Japanese character in the history of ever. Yeah. To Robert's point, 2008 at a screening in Sacramento, there was a significant negative reaction from many members of the Asian American community. As a quote here from a rep from the Asian American Media Watch saying it conjures up the worst Japanese stereotype, the grotesque buck teeth, the thick-rimmed glasses, the unforgivable Asian accent, adding arguably the most racist anti-Asian film in American cinematic history. Featuring Mickey Rooney 
as oh, Mr. Yeah. Uni Yoshi, I think is the Whatever. character's name. Yeah. Great and choice. <laughs> it was it was meant to to be broadly portrayed. He and and Rooney talked spoke to it before he before yeah. he passed away. So this was some some years ago. But um, he was confronted about it, and he said, it breaks my heart. Blake Edwards, who directed the picture, wanted me to do it because he was a, c- a comedy director. They hired me to do this overboard, and we had fun doing it. And then, See, racism can be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so he was very offended, Mickey Rooney, when he was confronted about this. And, he, and, then, and then here is the perfect example of the, <laughs> the, the, the equivalent to saying, well, I have lots of whatever oh, color yeah, yeah. friends right i made lots of chinese people laugh so he did he he, yeah. sa- he literally says that he so he says rooney says i'm quoting from the article rooney says he loves everybody and his life is a testament to that quoting mickey rooney now i was born in brooklyn delivered by a chinese doctor on a table in a boarding house on september 23rd 1920 he said i came from a poor family my father was from glasgow scotland my mother's brothers were brakemen on the railroad we didn't have anything but mush for breakfast i don't know what his fucking breakfast has to do with anything he just wants he's because he's a man of the people uh, <laughs> a man of the mushy uh, people rooney's wife jan who said they were married in hong kong and loved chinese art oh food well, culture okay. and medicine and the the medicine yeah. said the role was meant to be fun. It's terribly sad, and I feel bad for the people taking offense. Says Jan. Yeah, well. And then, then he says, and then he, Rudy goes on to say, you know, like Japanese people come up to me and tell me I did a great job with that portrayal. No, they don't. And then he <laughs> says, those that the, those that don't like it, I forgive them, and God bless America. Oh dear God. God bless the universe. God bless Japanese, Chinese, Indians, all of them. And let's have peace. Okay. Okay. Okay, person of um, <laughs> tremendous white privilege speaking yeah. from this, yeah. like, really stupid. But that is, that, again, he, he kind of epitomizes exactly what what was wrong. Like, like, he's going, I don't get it. Like, he's being confronted. People are saying to him, this hurts people. Yeah. What you've done here. Right. And he's like, how can that hurt people? Why yeah, would that hurt people? It was people? hilarious. I had mush for breakfast, and I had a Chinese doctor. Yeah, I mean, he me. might a Chinese doctor delivered me on a table yeah, in I Brooklyn. I love their food. They're so great. I, tell you, I, I love their art. They've got great art, everyone. Uh, yeah. There's nothing wrong with the way I portrayed him. Okay. So that is, that's the movies. I mean, we can go on and on and on. No, we can't. It is a... It's a conundrum. I mean, I struggle with it because there are movies that I love that I know are problematic and I can see the problems in those films now. But again, I can see the benefit to them. So I don't think, as you were saying, I don't think that we, I think that the tack to take is really to sit back and listen. Honestly, I don't think it's up to us, me, or anybody who speaks from a position of, of racial privilege or any kind of privilege to say, no, that movie should still be allowed to, to be on because, you know, everyone's taking that too seriously. Or, you know, I know that those things are wrong and whatever. I think that if people are hurt, this is it's not a time for 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 us to be talking and saying this should stay on, according to me. It's time well, for us. Well, I don't think you can be it's the time for only us. voice, no. but I think you're allowed to to have an opinion about it. Well, yeah, but I think it's more important for us. As long as you recognize, us- you know, like we have at least tried to here. Look, we recognize that a lot of these things that we saw that we now recognize as problematic didn't because of 
our cultural background, right? Yeah. It wouldn't resonate with us because we're like, oh, well, doesn't bother me. I'm cool with that because I'm not Asian or, you know, whatever. So, but I don't, I don't like that idea where we start giving um, only certain people the right to comment on certain things. It, of course, you, you know, to a certain extent, you stay in your lane and don't talk about things you clearly aren't knowledgeable in. But I think we can all talk about art. You know, and and what it means and what the context of it is. Can I pretend to have the same perspective as, like, an African American? Of course not. I definitely can't. But that no. doesn't mean. I mean, I hopefully we can discuss those things because that is, by the way, what we are doing here tonight. So <laughs> well, if I we mean, can't, this is a problem, and we're gonna have to come up with something else to release tomorrow. No, no, for no, these no. people. But I, I, I honestly believe that we have to listen more than we talk about this. I, I don't oh, say that we fine. can. Yeah. I don't say that we can't engage at all, as long as we're sensitive and as long as we're coming at it from an earnest position and a, and a position of wanting to learn. But I, it is, it's really hard to. To say, well, I have these opinions and I want to share these yeah. opinions, but really what I have to do is listen. That's, you know, to be honest, that's that's hard, but it's the right thing. It's the right thing to do. And so, you know, I don't know. Listen more. Talk less. Let's talk about Picasso. Yeah. He is uh, obviously discriminating against uh, people with misplaced eyes <laughs> and no. guitar-shaped women. <laughs> no. And possibly bulls. All right. So uh, Picasso is a problem because well, just because he was a jerk. Yeah, be, well, because he was very he was abusive to women. Yeah, he was kind of rapey. A lot of underagey issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of art, a lot of fine art, is the result of the the efforts of flawed, deeply flawed, sure. very fucked up people. Ab and then what do we do? And I know that there have been some. Uh, discussions around this where, where people will say, curators will say, well, what, what do we do? We yeah. take everything off the walls? No, because some of their, the pieces are very important. You can't take you can't take all Picassos down, right? He is too well, important to the art world. In my mind, you could, because well, I'm just not into all of that weird well, eyes and boobs and weird yeah. shapes. That's not for me. But I mean, Edward Hopper is one of my favorites. He's also yeah. problematic. He's yeah. also been, he was also very abusive to his wife. He also kind of erased his wife. His wife was actually a I think she was a more accomplished artist when she met him, and then she, he took the he kind of took the limelight. Yeah. With her concession, but she was abused in that relationship, and um. So for me, that would be a tough one. Like I don't so care if, about here's, Picasso. Here's how me, here's how I start taking Hopper yeah. down. Would would here's how I do my kind of evaluation of this. First of all, how central are their flaws to their art? For example, this guy is horrible to his wife. Does he also paint portrayals of women in, you know, victimizing circumstances, right? That would be a more mm -hmm. serious uh, crime. Not that it's not a crime to be shitty to women or to be abusive. It is. But it's how closely is their art tied to that, right? Is Does their art depend on this bad behavior? Secondly, are they still alive? I think it's perfectly legitimate to try not to further enrich somebody like, you know, Woody Allen, mm -hmm. right? To not further enrich him while he's still alive mm -hmm. and patronize his, his art because he is a horrible human being. Right. 
which we talked about, I think, in our original cancel culture episode. Yes. But um, so is he still alive? That's another thing I think about. How important is their work to the history of that discipline, right? Uh, you know, Shakespeare has a uh, extremely problematic portrayal of a Jew, moneylender, but he's way too important to English literature to take him out. So what you do is you go, yeah, that's terrible that Shylock is portrayed in this way, in this stereotypical way. This is how they did it back then. This is, you know, they, they blamed everything on the Jews, blah, blah, blah. And now let's, you know, continue with our analysis of the, of the, of the piece, of the Merchant of Venice. I, that's another thing that I, I think is important. So how close is their bad behavior or their shitty attitudes or their prejudices to their works? Now, a lot of times the works themselves are chock full of prejudice, right? Yeah, or uh, problematic. So, so Picasso is an, is one of them. Where um, there there are a couple of of artists where they're they're showing they're clearly depicting very young girls in very s sort of uh, salacious poses, and yeah. uh, you know, very um, it's 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 very much a, like a Lolita thing. Which yeah. there's another thing. So right. Lolita is a problematic, right. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. problem not problematic novel. Um, Picasso is essentially like the Nabokov of, of <laughs> the, <painters. laughs> the really world. Yeah. I mean, there are others. He's not the only one. But here's here's Picasso. I mean, here's here's stuff that 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 he says. Women are machines for suffering. And he, he said this in 1943. And he said, for me, there are only two kinds of women, goddesses and doormats. He cheated endlessly on his wives and physically, verbally and emotionally abused each one of his romantic partners. Under Picasso's misogyny, these women provided the artist with inspiration for some of his greatest portraits before being discarded for a younger model. Picasso took pride in his attitude. Every time I change wives, he said, I should burn the last one. That way I'd be rid. You'll, you kill the woman and you wipe out the past she represents. Right. Well, that's obviously horrible. By the way, I don't think cheating on his wife should have any impact. That is a – I mean, the misogyny and the abuse – Definitely. But if you cheat on your wife, that's just you being a bad husband, right? That has nothing to do with art. It shouldn't have anything to do with cancellation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, same with a wife cheated on her husband. I mean, that doesn't cancel out their art. But prejudice, misogyny, homophobia, all those things do, do impact it. Right. But, you know, with Picasso, he's just way too important to the art world to just ignore it. Now, there are certain pieces of his, I think, that you can probably quietly take out of circulation, right? Mm -hmm. Or put them back in the back room of the museum because – Or just know, give them back to the maybe, people who own them and have donated maybe them quote, to the museum. quote, unquote, sexy 13-year-old is not the best thing to hang on the, on the museum wall. All right. So there was a – do you remember some time ago there was a, a woman who – was allegedly raped at Columbia University, and uh, the university, in her mind, didn't take it seriously enough, and so she started carrying her mattress no. around the university. This is okay. a very famous, like feminist, feminist protest. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that I know about it, and, and that you you don't. But, wow, uh, I that's mean, fucked up. <laughs> but this was in this was in 2015. So, oh, um, no, I don't so she actually now is like some kind of a performance artist, and she. Yeah. 
in response to an article that was in the New York Times where they quoted um, officials from the Museum of Modern Art who said that perhaps when there have been like sexual abuses or some kind of issue with that's known to be about the artist, that perhaps they would place an asterisk on the wall next to the painting to kind of call attention to the fact that like, okay, there's, there's, this guy is a horrible there's, human. there's something yeah. problematic that was going yeah. on here. So should kind of call it out again. It's not canceling it, but it's, right. it's called, it's, it's sort of saying it's shining a light on it. It's contextualizing it really yeah. in personally, a personal contextualization. Um, so what she did then is she w- went in, she was wearing a, a black see-through negligee and she had asterisk pasties on her nipples okay. and she would, she posed in front of, um, Picasso's, uh, it was from 1907. It's called Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. And it's, uh, that has to do with, those were prostitutes, a painting of of prostitutes. And she posed in front of that, like that, with her arms and legs spread out. And she herself was representing an asterisk. And then she took off before they could, (laughs) they could catch her. But this was like, this was a form of performance art slash protest to to kind of highlight the sort of is that is it going far enough? You want to know what an uncultured buffoon I am? Yeah, I have never ever found a single piece of performance art that was that I had any interest in at all. Hmm. None, not one. I like art, paintings, sculptures. Mm-hmm. I do not think I've never, and I like I like acting, right? Plays, movies, mm-hmm. whatever. Musicals. Mm-hmm. Never seen a single bit of performance art that just didn't look like something some, you know, sophomore in college uh, that with a wild hair up their ass decided to do. I don't know. I just feel like that would have been very powerful to to witness. Oh, I may may have been. Didn't see it. Don't know. Possibly that would have been my, the first one that I was like, oh, okay, that one's making a point. And I'm sure a lot of them make a point. I just have never found any of them interesting in any way. And it's not because of their message. It's just. The way the the medium, so such as it is, just seems just so strange to me. So whatever. Um, but yeah, so go home, so, performance artist. So well, all right, including so that, mimes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so so you know, Picasso's problematic potential. I mean, like, there's a lot of artists. There are a I'm lot sure of artists who are problematic. Honestly, if not more than half of them aren't problematic, I would be surprised. Is that to do? Is that the artistic genius who is also that's what the I troubled always genius? I, always I don't know. Thought... I feel like that's kind of a bullshit. I feel like what comes first? Are you are you like a tortured artist and then and then you create great art, or do you feel some sort of entitlement once you be you you've established yourself in some way as having that kind of talent, and then you just theory. take advantage? What's I have your a theory? theory that great art is created by individuals who see things differently than the norm. Because that's what makes great art, right, is a unique perspective, uh, you know, a novel way of putting together images and technique and things. So first of all, you have to have, by definition, abnormal perspective on the world. And I think that often, not always, but often is coupled with various forms of mental illness, Right. Mm -hmm. But there is a certain point where the unique perspective, because it's very difficult to see things differently than the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I assume if you are a groundbreaking artist, it's probably pretty difficult to live like that because, you know, you're trying to now drag the whole world 
to see the way you see things the way you do. Uh So I think that they, they can very easily be prone to mental illness, substance abuse, et cetera. Uh Uh, So I think that's the, that's where it comes from is that those people are more likely to be artistic Uh than the other way around. But I could be totally wrong because I am not a trained professional. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I think that one thing to point out there um, and, and I, and, and I learned this from, our friends who we are going to be doing a collabo with, uh, listening to their fine podcast, Psychocinematic, wh- what they mentioned is the idea that like mental illness, a lot of times there is this like genius, that sort of artistic genius right. attached to someone who, who ha- is clearly suffering from some, some kind of whatever kind of mental yeah. illness. That that's hard, though, because if you have mental illness and you are not some kind of genius artist. Right. Then that's like a double like there's like some kind of sense potentially of feeling of of inferiority. Right. For example, God, you know, if you're on the spectrum, but you can't count cards. Right. 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 Like the super the super spectrum guy like Rain Man. right? Right. If you if you're on the spectrum. And you don't have some, you can't, you know, like paint the New York skyline from memory or whatever, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's almost like if you don't have those tricks, you're not the right kind you're of artist. You're not the right kind of, right. Yeah. And, yeah. And so, which is terrible. I mean, it that is just, terrible. I'm just like, it's not, my life's not hard enough. Now I have to have superpowers. Right, right. And so, so we, I think, you know, you have to be careful about sort of drawing that, that line and saying, oh, okay, there's a connection between mental illness and artistic genius. I don't, I don't know what what is uh, what I think is there's a connection and not a direct causal link or well, a you know a necessary condition. Where I am seeing okay so for for someone like Picasso that painting that that Emma Selkowitz protested in the preparatory sketches for that he drew an adolescent girl who was nearing pubic, puberty she wasn't she hadn't hit it yet yeah. naked with her legs splayed Right and um, bad. A, a, a scholars as, assume that this this girl was someone that that he and his partner had adopted from a convent. So I mean, here he is in this situation where she's a captive yeah, to that's him. Kind of nuts. Uh, you know, and and so yeah, like I would be fine taking that painting out of circulation. <laughs> but okay, so so the the point here is is not that he's he's an artistic genius and he's mentally troubled and. You know, he's working out his mental troubles that way. My argument would be he took advantage of his position as an artist. Oh, I'm sure that to, is off also to the case. exploit right. people. Um, and if he was a pedophile, he was a pedophile. Yeah, that, no, that's you know, not. Yeah, and being a great artist is not an excuse, right? Like, right. well. You know, you know, we're all crazy. So if I have to paint a naked twelve-year-old, so be it. Right. No, that, I'm not. Certainly not saying that at all. Yeah. I just think that you know, I know we like to talk about Venn diagrams, the uh, overlap of artists with bipolar or you know uh, schizophrenia or any number of conditions is probably pretty significant. Yeah. Well, anyway, so so that's Picasso, and you know, again, we could go into. I mean, Pollock was terrible. A lot of them were, but I think that that comes from entitlement. I think that I think that if you have these issues and you happen to also be a creative, you get into an 
a, 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 a stratosphere. Like, look, look, look at, again, we're going to bring him up. I don't want to belabor the point because I've, I feel like I've talked about him too much over the course of, of multiple episodes. But Woody Allen. Right. I mean, you get into you get into that sort of level of success, you're pretty much going to be able to do what the fuck ever you want. Right. You don't have a lot of people around but you going, doesn't cause no. their, that doesn't no, cause that doesn't cause their psychoses. It no. just makes them feel more comfortable ex- not hiding it. And they, they get away with it. They, they definitely you know, do. They get a pass for it they because do. of because of their their fame like, and their notoriety. Doctor Seuss was never taken out and beaten for his you know horrible portrayal of minorities. Well, in fact, Doctor Seuss was celebrated because he was a propaganda artist for the for yeah, the government like, during the world. Your racist the cartoons are the best racist cartoons I've ever seen. All right, so Mark, do you have anything else that you want to bring up about how Sneeches. cancel culture? Uh, Son of a Sneech. In- intersects with uh, with um, classic film or mu- movies. You know, the one thing that we really didn't discuss, I wish we had, we just don't have time for it, is um, Lolita. Right. And maybe that's a uh, maybe that's its own standalone. I don't know. I'm not comfortable having a big, long discussion about that. That's just, I mean, it's just creepy from start to finish. There's no, in my opinion, no redeeming qualities in that. Other than maybe it inspired one police song. That's about it. Uh, here, the, well, the thing that I think is very powerful about it is that it is an indictment of what's going on. If you really read Lolita carefully, it is not a. I sol- will not. I is... don't need that in my browser history. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, if you read that. <laughs> like that book, if if I ever download that book and then I die, I'm going to ask you to quick delete that from my library. There are there are actually a couple of of books that we didn't talk about. We should have probably, but Lolita, I think is. One of them, um, as as distasteful as you might find it, I think it's an interesting and worthwhile book to discuss. Um, t- um, Huck Finn, of course. Yeah, is, I mean that was a big story back in the eighties, even yeah. where you know, was he was he really uh, invoking racial stereotypes or was he illustrating illustrating them? them? And then uh, also, I I would even throw in like Charles Dickens. I'm um, I'm thinking about the portrayal of Fagin. Um, you yeah. know, sort of the Jewish guy and, um, I, 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 again, kind of sneaky and bad. Right. Um, so those are those are some things that, we, you know, I, I, we, we only have an hour. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, we can't People, go, we can't be go through reasonable. all of it. Um, but that might be something to come back and, and revisit at a, at a different time. If our, you know, you if guys, there's enough if there's clamor. An, if there's an interest uh, in hearing hearing more from us on on. Uh, on Literature, in yeah. Particular. If you want to hear me try to make jokes about uh, predatory uh, underage sex, you know, no, vote for it. It's not. <clears throat> look, I'm telling you, that book is not. It's it's an indictment of it, and it is. It you you have a very complex relationship with Humbert Humbert, but yeah. it is it is a young teacher. Oh my God, the go. subject. All right, are you done? Of school. Do you have anything fantasy. else? You are you done? You're good. No, I'm gonna sing this song. No, please don't. <laughs> All right, I referenced uh, initially when we were talking about minstrel shows, and I I said something about Frederick Douglass, and I want to kind of bring it back to that because I think one way to point out the obvious it should be obvious to us is that there were always complaints about this. There were always people who looked at something that was wrong 
and were able to say, like, wow, those minstrel shows are pretty fucked up. They were able to say, this is wrong. The fact that you are finding this funny is wrong. And so Frederick, and so maybe this is the way to to sort of wind this all up, is to go out with this quote. um, And it's it's extremely powerful. Um, So this is 150 years ago. Kind of at the height of the minstrel show so popularity. So I was like five years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, abolitionist Frederick Douglass described blackface performers as the filthy scum of white society who have stolen from us a complexion denied to them by nature in which to make money and pander to the corrupt taste of their white fellow citizens. All right. Well, take that, white people. I, I think that's very powerful. Of course it is. So um, – Mark, I think that we we didn't really go into all of our social media, but everybody right. kind of knows what we have. Um, we've got the Facebook. We've got the TikTok now, you guys. Insta, yeah. Twitter. We, we Mark is going to become much more active on all of the social media platforms. Oh the month of May is going to be dedicated to amping up and ramping up on social media. We thank you very much for coming and listening to us each week. Get some more of you to come listen to it. And honestly, <laughs> when you do download our podcast each week, do it on every platform oh, and just play them while you sleep. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care if you actually listen to them. Just, you know, we need to pump these numbers no. up. These are rookie numbers. Uh, everyone, Let's go. No. Chop, wow. chop. Everyone, thank you very much for coming and listening to us. We appreciate it. And I'm going to say good night. Peace out, Cub Scouts. <laughs>